0: Welcome to our Through the Bible study here on Bible In-Depth Network with Alex. In our study, we look at the context of Scripture and how it applies to our daily lives. We also believe that there's no limitation to the revelation of the Word God. Let's study together today. Yes, praise be to God. I hope you're safe. I hope the Lord has kept you safe and sound. This is a day that the Lord has met. We shall rejoice and we shall be glad in it. And... uh, we started on our study of uh, the book of Matthew yesterday. We started our New Testament study, and uh, we want to continue uh, today. Remember, we already say there is no limitation to the revelation of God. Uh, the Lord reveals His word to everybody who shows need. If you want God to speak to you, He will indeed uh, speak to you. So, we want to continue our study. Yesterday, we stopped on uh, verse eighteen of chapter 1 of uh, Matthew. And today I want us to continue with verse 19 of chapter 1. And it says, And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. What is happening at this point, uh, we are told that while Joseph and Mary are betrothed, we looked at the betrothal process yesterday, uh, while they're uh, they are betrothed, they get to find that Mary is, has a child by the Holy Spirit. And what follows now in verse 19, uh, Joseph, we're told, was a righteous man. Of course, he knows this child is not mine. I'm not responsible for this child. I have been uh, a clear man, righteous, as he's been mentioned, and called in this case. And he says, I need to get a plan to leave her or send her away secretly without disgracing her in public. Yeah, without people knowing. So is of course there's a lot going on in his head because if you're being told that this child is of the Holy Spirit, then you're wondering, is this even true? Yeah, isn't this one playing games? I've never had something like that. It's new to me. So that's the predicament that Joseph has at this point. And he makes a plan. To send away Mary. Now, the penalty of adultery when it came to the Old Testament in the law that was given to them was death by stoning. If they found that you've committed adultery, what would follow is they stone you to death. And this also applied in the cases of betrothal. Not necessarily that you've completed the marriage process, but even when you're still in the betrothal process, then in that Old Testament, uh, you would be stoned to death. As long as there's an engagement that you have with the other party, if you are found that you've committed adultery, because it would still happen even in the betrothal process. As far as Deuteronomy 22, 23 to 24, you could still also face this penalty, yeah? Even in the time... Of betrothal in the New Testament times, uh, it might have just required divorce, yeah, because uh from what we see here, Joseph uh says, I will divorce you, and uh I will not let you be ashamed or expose you to shame. The death penalty that we knew about in the old testament may not have been used, it would have been rarely used. Uh, by these people at this time, and it was not being executed uh, staunchly because there's lots that have changed since uh, the law was given at that point. There's been a lot of assimilation. There have been captivities that have happened, Assyrians entering Israel. uh, It becomes Samaria. They've totally killed the tradition, and now they're only standing by that which Judah returns with. Yeah, Because from their captivity in Babylon, they come back and try to get things back in order. Of course, through the leaders and the religious leaders they had uh, appointed then. And uh, like we saw through the history of Israel, that also had changed a bit because the, the strictness about who the high priest should be, the line they should be, had all died out. And now you have the Pharisees who are on board, you have the Sadducees who are on board. So... This penalty was not so much executed in uh, the New Testament because we, ha- we do not read on uh, any one occasion that it's being brought out. It could be there still um, among the things they consider, but it was not really sto- staunchly uh, executed. Now, betrothals, we, t- we talked about them yesterday, that they were so binding. They were so binding that if a woman's uh, fiancée who that was at that point, died. She was even considered a widow. They would say that you're a widow. Though you have not even gone to the level of completing the marriage and consummating uh, the marriage, you would be considered a widow. A widow, And uh, uh, these betrothals, the only way you could terminate that uh, engagement is by divorce. That's what Joseph tries to do at this time. That's what Joseph wants to do at this time. How do you terminate an engagement? though the marriage is not yet complete in their culture, it would be by divorce. And now, being a woman who has a child with you and you've been divorced because of that infidelity, it's very hard to find another husband. Yeah, And also, if you have the child, means of support as a woman would be very difficult because you would have to go back to your parents. If your parents died, then you will have to survive on your own. And in their times, that was not something so easy. Because today you might say, yeah, it's okay. There are women who raise their children alone. Yes, they do. But in the culture that these people had work and uh, the equality that we might see today was not there. Yeah, it was uh, quite different than the case that we have today. So the unfaithfulness of a betrothed woman uh, was not something that would come out well. It would also dishonor the man to whom she was pledged. And that, Joseph says, it cannot happen with me. So, a husband could divorce his wife publicly before a judge, yeah, if they were charging her for any offense, and he could disassociate himself uh, from her publicly. And uh, this also followed by, by him getting the bride price that he paid. Because remember, he would pay some or part of the bride price, or all of it, if the means were available. And uh, if this has occurred, he will get back his bride price and also acquire any dowry that uh, the father had given uh, the daughter for marriage. Because remember, when the daughter was going, the father would give dowry to their daughter. So he would also have part of that given to him. These were normally precious uh, items that would be given to the girl. As dowry. So, if they are taking part of it, it's total loss to the woman. And uh, now, in this case, because these divorce uh, issues would be sorted with a simple document, you just need witnesses. Joseph could be able to divorce Mary without making it widely known and uh, without putting her to shame. So, that is the plan that Joseph has at this point. Verse 20, but when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Yeah? Joseph has his plans, but God also has his plans. Sometimes you have your plans and then God also has his plans and he wants to effect them. How does he do this? For Joseph, he comes in a dream and what does he say? He says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary As your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Now he's getting confirmation for something that seems impossible. For something that does not make sense to the human mind. And he gets a dream and is told that is a child of the Holy Spirit. Do not divorce Mary. And when we saw in the Old Testament, angels often brought messages in dreams that would speak to people in dreams even in other cultures even when you get to greek literature uh, you would have messages brought to people in dreams and uh, from the old testament we saw different uh, dreamers yeah if we may call them that and also people who would interpret dreams people like daniel uh, people like joseph yeah and even from now, when we, we are reading the book of Matthew, you will find lots and lots of other dreams that are happening. And uh, that is a, a mode that God would communicate. So he brings this message to Joseph clearly and tells him, tells him, do not be afraid. Take Mary as your wife. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. They are given a name that should be called. And uh, the name Jesus, Aramaic is Yeshua. And uh, of course, that's the language they pick from their captivity in Babylon. And it means God is salvation in Hebrew. Yeah, that God is salvation. Parents uh, were very intentional on the names they gave to their children because they would have meaning. Even today, the name that you give your child because you go out and search. And sometimes you go to Google and you search all the names and you pick the meanings and you want your child to have a name that carries meaning. And that's very important. You don't just wake up and throw a name on a child. It, it is very key for you to know uh, what exactly this name means and why you're naming your child that particular name. So parents had an intention in naming children. But now, if it came to the fact that it is God naming you, then it was special. It had very high attachment of importance that now it is God giving you a name by himself. We have seen God do that. Genesis 16, 11, Ishmael yeah, to Hagar, for the Lord has had your affliction. And he says, that is Ishmael. You'll call him Ishmael because God has had your affliction. We remember that story with Hagar in the In Genesis, and people, of course, had been taught through the prophets in the Old Testament that they would be saved in the time of the Messiah. Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 5 to 6, they had this information, and people who were reading the literature, Jewish literature, in that first century would have understood this salvation to mean more than just a personal forgiveness. Yeah, they prayed for the day when God would deliver his people from the consequence of their sins. And also apart from just the sin, they also hoped God to bring somebody who would help them from the oppression of their enemies. Remember they were moving from empire after empire. They had their Assyrians. Yeah, they were once a superpower as Israel in the time of David we saw, in the time of Solomon. When those guys are gone, they start to go down as a nation. So the Assyrians come take over. They torture them. They assimilate them. They throw them across the world. The Babylonians come. They torture them. They don't go ha- they even have their temple destroyed, burnt to the ground. After them you see the Persians and the Medes. They come. You see the Greeks. You see the Romans now who are in control in this time of Jesus. And clearly the Israelites having read from what their prophets told them they are saying we need the Messiah. We need somebody to come on our behalf, fight for us on our behalf, and we need to get back to a point where we are the superpower. So, for whatever they're expecting for this Messiah who would come, they know, yes, he will save us from our sins and also he will help us fight our enemies. So, in their understanding, it's not just somebody who is coming to deal with spiritual matters, but also they expect the physical to be dealt with. the especially they expect to overcome those who are conquering them. And many believed that this is what God would desire for them as Israel. And Jesus now comes to deliver his people from personal sin and deliver them from the judgment that it brings. When he came, he did not come to fight the physical battle that they were expecting for him. He is, as God mentions here in verse 21. That this child who will be born, he will save his people from their sins. He wasn't saying he'll come and save you from the Romans. He wasn't saying you'll become a superpower then. No, I'm coming to deal with your spiritual life. And that's what God does. Before anything else, God wants to deal with my life. He wants to help me stand for him. He wants to help me walk for him. He wants to have a total transformation in my spirit. Before, you know, these days when we come to God, it's all about getting, yeah, and the things you want and the things you need added to your life, the physical things, the riches of this world. But God has an interest first in your spiritual life to save you from the judgment that is to come. He needs that personal transformation in your life before anything else. And that is the major purpose here, that he will come to save people from their sins. Now, all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. prophet behold, the virgin shall be a child and shall bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife but kept Her a virgin until she gave birth to a son and called his name Jesus. Joseph acts like those men and women of the Old Testament that we read of who obeyed God's call even when it was against common sense, even when it's against understanding, because he's being told in a dream, This is a child of the Holy Spirit, do not divorce Mary, do it. He makes a decision. He does not divorce Mary. He stays with her. And also makes sure he keeps her virgin. Of course, marriage consisted of a covenant. It begins at the betrothal. Then you have the marital contract that uh, has also the, the exchange or transactions between families yeah, of bride price. Then you will have a celebration. And then you will have a consummation which seals the marriage. And that would happen normally on the first night of the seven wedding day banquet. For them, when it came to celebration of that marriage, they would take seven days. It's a full week of celebration, a wedding that lasts seven days is what they would do. And on that first day is where they consummate the marriage. They come together yeah, uh, in a fair or in, in in sexual affair. And Joseph here marries Mary, goes ahead and does it, but abstains from consummating this marriage until after Jesus is born, yeah? And uh, they abstain even though she could have proved her virginity on the wedding night that, hey, I I think you might still have thoughts that this is not true. No, in this way, Jesus was not even just a virgin uh, conception, but even when it came to birth, you have a virgin birth. So all that surrounds the birth of Jesus is special in a way and uh of course as far as the people who were teaching the rabbis the Jewish teachers they thought that men had to marry young because this is a way you could resist any form of temptation and um uh, they they could even use all 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 things to speak about how women are tempting them if they left their hair uncovered they would say that uh you causing us to lust they had all those explanations now today in the in in the day in in our days there is a lot that can cause the temptation the way that the dress code is the media and all the things that are shown on the media and all that but for the teachers in their time of course to them it was exposed here that the young men would bring forth as issues of temptation because they would dress and cover their entire bodies as women. And they, they are told by their leaders and their teachers and their rabbis, get married when you're young so that you don't have that. Now Joseph, who lives with Mary and exercises the highest level of self-control, here gives a good example. He's a strong role model for sexual purity because he gets married and still, Uh, stays with Mary without having any sexual affair that happens between them until Jesus is born. So there's a good example there that things are possible. Sometimes we say it's impossible, but have you tried it before you say it's impossible? Here we get the example of this man. And uh, for him, he clearly shows that possibility for you to abstain. And it's important in this day and age that has lost Uh, all these values for us to know that it is good for you to keep pure until the day, until that person that God has brought for you in your life to be with. Yeah, You stay pure. You remain pure. You remain faithful. And the right time will come. And that's the end of chapter 1. Chapter 2 starts by saying, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, and uh, this is now moving us to the point Jesus has been born. Yeah, at that point, Herod is the king, and Magi from the east arrive in Jerusalem. There is uh, that thought. Some, of course, called them the wise men. And we also have that thought that there were three. I wonder where we got it. that there are three because it's not mentioned in the Bible that there were three wise men. But anyway, they arrive in Jerusalem. And uh, Herod the Great, the one who is the king now, when we read through history, we know that he died in the year 4 BC. So Jesus was born before 4 BC, yeah, and uh, rather than what we might think it he, that he's born in uh, AD 1, our calendars are off by several years. So, the magi here who are being mentioned come around that time, and Jesus is born before 4 BC, before the time of the death of Herod. And these guys come and they are pagan astrologers who they they have those skills, yeah. Of uh, divination that they use and they were respected by the way in the entire world because they knew uh, astrology had become popular through the science of the east of the people of the east and everyone agreed that the best astrologers lived in the east so these are the guys that are now coming uh, to see or to visit this which they've seen verse 2 where is he who has been born king of the jews for we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Yeah? They're talking to Herod. They're saying, where is this person who has been born? Where is this person? We need to see him. We need to come in contact with him because they, they even mention that he's the king of the Jews. They are specific because as far as they've seen, the star they've seen is a representation of the birth of the king. So they are asking, "Where?" is this king that has been born. Astronomers uh, of course give a number of proposals for the appearance of this star in the first decade uh, BC. They give various proposals about this specific star. And the ancient thought comets uh, when we were starting Genesis, we looked at these elements in the sky, those that you look at the stars, we looked at the galaxies, we looked at the comets, we looked at all those things that are up there in the stars, in the, in the sky, and people in the ancient time, they used to think that these comets and the falling stars were predicting the fall of a ruler. So when they would see, they know there is a ruler that is going to fall. Now, when these uh, magi come to Jerusalem... It's mostly speaking that because that is what they believe in. And some emperors of Rome uh, even banished astrologers because they knew that these guys would give predictions that are speaking about their fall as rulers. Yeah, So, of course, as far as the uh, Israelites are concerned, divination was prohibited. They were not supposed to... Uh, to enter into that. They were spoken of in the law and told about this, warned by their prophets about divination. But by this period, many of the Jewish people had accepted the idea that stars could actually predict the future. They could speak about the future because lots has changed. Even the cultures they've been associated with, the people they've been associated with, lots of things have changed. But up to this point, these magi are pagans. They're coming from the east, but God had chosen to reveal himself to them. He had chosen to speak through them. He had chosen to show his glory through these pagans. Imagine Now, it's amazing what God can do and who God can use. Sometimes we want to qualify uh, some people and individuals and say, no, God can't use such a person. No, God can't speak through such a person. These guys were coming are astrologers. These guys who are coming at the uh, practice divination, they look at the stars and study the stars and tell the signs. And these are the ones who are coming. And what are they coming to They are coming to worship. They want to see that who has been born, to worship the one that has been born. When Herod the king had this, he was troubled. And he was not troubled alone, but all Jerusalem with him. So what Herod is going through is not easy. Because, firstly, he knows that the people that have come to his place are special. What they see and predict normally comes to pass. So many of the rulers feared any astrological sign because it spoke of their end. It spoke of their fall, like we've just said. And uh, an example is the emperor who was known as Nero, who is reported to have slaughtered many nobles. In the hope that the death of these nobles, rather than his own, would feel f- uh, would bring to pass or fulfill that prediction of the comet that's falling, implying that the leader is going to fall. So he killed nobles because they were also leaders uh, to sort of make make it seem like the nob- the nobles are dead. They're not talking about him as emperor, yeah, and uh, that still wasn't the case because if. Uh, the word has come out, then it will come to pass. So whatever I did didn't help. But any astrological sign like the star that they were seeing of this child that has been born would cause fear to the leaders. It would cause fear to the rulers. Jerusalem at this point is an important trade center. It's an important commercial center. And, uh, these magi, as they come, they must have come with quite an entourage because, uh, I mean, these are well-respected people. These are known. They are carrying gifts. They are rich. Yeah, They don't just move with the three donkeys. It is an entourage that they see because these are people that are needed across the world. These are people that are respected across the world. By the time you have a few individuals who even actually go to the astrologers for information and they get rich and they move with a convoy of many uh Uh, cars. How about the astrologers themselves? How would they move? How about this magi? How would they move? It's most definite their entourage was large. And the whole city was going to notice them as they come in. Yeah, And of course, them entering Jerusalem, it's a commercial city. It's a major city. There are lots of people in it. They are interested. They also know as the people that a star that is uh, being shown representing the birth of a king also implies that there is the death of one that has been ruling, that now there is a new one who is coming. People, of course, resented the rule of Herod, and any rumors that could have circulated quickly were going to make Herod uncomfortable. And Herod, who was also aware of the thoughts that were moving throughout the Roman Empire, yeah? He was not comfortable at all. Remember during his time he had sponsored pagan temples among the cities and uh, when he sees these magi coming he knows this is not good news. There is a king who is going to be born. There is a king who has been born. There is somebody who has come and these people, my people that I lead have seen the magi and they are going to start thinking that the reigns are about to change. So doesn't make him comfortable. But now, the fact is, a king has been born. And this representation that has been made by the coming of the Magi into this great city because they've come to see him. They've come to worship this king. We shall end there today and continue from verse 4 next time. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you uh, for you talk to us, you speak to us, you teach us Word. we pray that you help us guide us and help us live lives that honor we exhort you give you glory and honor in jesus mighty name we pray amen thank you for joining us for our study today we believe that the world of god is alive and new each day open your heart and let god speak to you you can also access our teachings through our Podbean channel, or reach us through our website, Bible in